I call that something I can't not do. Um, and I think that's really important for people to do, to be inspired is don't do what you can do, do what you can't not do. When I get up first thing, whatever my inspiration, whatever I'm working on, go do that. Even if it's for a half an hour, every day do it. She's the inspiration behind, ever since I've met her, most everything that I do. What inspired Great Peacemakers, our book? Well, there's no question it was Heather. It was Heather's idea, it was her inspiration. So when you're feeling low and you just don't have inspiration, go help someone. When you find yourself at the bottom of the hole, the first thing to do is put down the shovel. So quit digging the hole deeper. And then what can I do to look around and who's in the hole with me? How can I help them get out of the hole? Fuel your dreams, ignite your inspiration. Join us and feel at home here at Fearless Inspiration. I'm human because you're human. You teach me to be human and I teach you to be human. We can't be human by ourselves. Move it to the platinum rule. Don't treat people the way you want to be treated. Treat people the way they want to be treated. That's another level and that's the key. I want to know what you're about, not what I'm about and try to make you like me. Sometimes that's what a peacemaker's job is, is not to inspire everybody else to do it. Sometimes somebody has to help with the heavy lifting. How do you do it? Not the why to do it. The bottom line is that's how we implement more of our inspiration. And today's guest is Ken Bella, whose book, Great Peacemakers, is the whole inspiration behind this podcast. He's now championing shared experiences and values across generations to help different groups get along together. Please help me welcome him. Hi, Ken. Where are you calling from? Thank you for having me, Ian. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, today, I'm calling in from America, from uh, Sedona, Arizona, great southwest. And the weather is beautiful. It's 70 degrees out right now and sunny, so I can't complain at all. Can you tell me something that you're both good at and you just love doing? Something that just drips out of you? Yeah, so I call that something I can't not do. Um, and I think that's really important for people to do, to be inspired, is don't do what you can do, do what you can't not do. And I would say the probably the one thing that I can't not do is cook. I really love to cook. Um, I've been cooking since I was a small child for the family. About 20 years ago, I shifted to a full plant-based diet. One of my inspirations is how can I actually create plant-based foods that resemble foods of my childhood, like chicken pot pies and things like that, that I wouldn't get the chicken, but I make a chickenless chicken pot pie. So it's how I relax. It's what I love to do. And my wife, she loves it because she hates to cook. So she's very happy that I'm the cook of the family. And she looks at me like, why do you keep doing this? This is work. And I keep telling her, no, this is my inspiration. So what's work to her is inspiration to me. And it's just a wonderful thing. So that's probably the number one thing I can't not do. In that journey from chemical engineer to where you are now, are there any main points of inspiration along, along there that you could tell us about or the most inspiring person on that journey? Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, I've been very fortunate that I've had a lot of experiences in my life. You know, I've lived offshore for about four years all over the world in 20 different countries. I've been a chemical engineer, you know, doing a lot of work with big businesses, setting up computer factories all over the world. I became a social scientist for about the last 20 years. And so I've had a chance to do a lot of different jobs. I mean, I've been everything from a waiter to building houses to you name it. There's not much I haven't done. And for me, what I found is that we often worry, I think, about inspiration. I get this from people is, you know, well, what inspires you? Well, what inspires me today may not be something that inspires me tomorrow. And that's okay. 
it's okay, I think, for us to realize that our inspirations, our desires change over time. You know, I always love to cook. There's just no question. But there are other things that come and go in my life. You know, for a while, I was an aerobatic airplane pilot, and that was great for a while, but it was a chapter in my life, and I went away from it, you know? And so I think it is with jobs. So I did a high-tech engineering for quite a while, and then I moved to the social side, the people side. And I've really come to find that, you know, inspiration is kind of where it is in the moment. But there's one thing that I found that it's great to do that because what you're fired up for is what really keeps you going. So if you're not inspired, it's kind of the difference between motivation and inspiration. And let me clarify that, okay? Motivation is an an extrinsic reward. It means it's from the outside. It's either a carrot or a stick. So the carrot to keep the donkey going or the stick to spank it on the butt to keep it going. The problem is when that carrot or stick vanishes, the motivation also vanishes. And so motivation is not something that we probably want to focus on. We really want to focus on inspiration. And the inspiration happens from inside. It's what I do to inspire me. So that's one of the key focuses I look at and say, why are you doing this, Ken? Are you inspired or are you motivated? And sometimes we have to do things for motivation. You know, we have to go to work sometimes. We don't like it, but we know we have to pay the bills so we can go do our inspiration. But I think it's important for people to try to look at how to separate those two. That's really helpful. And then so along that journey, is there any one person that springs to mind has been a, a, a major one, or one of your top five? Yeah, uh, no question. One of the most inspirational people in my life is my wife, Heather Chase. Uh, she's the inspiration behind ever since I've met her, most everything that I do. And it's terrific. My wife is a really kind, gentle soul. She could have been a monk if she wanted to be so, but extremely intuitive, extremely deep thinker. She knows how to separate the difference between important and urgent. And she knows that you need to do the important. That's what matters. So, you know, you might have asked me what inspired Great Peacemakers, our book. Well, there's no question it was Heather. It was Heather's idea. It was her inspiration that drove us toward that. It was her that did the vast majority of all the research. So it was a project between us because we are very different, but we do actually uh, complement each other quite a bit. And so she inspires, I kind of do the heavy lifting sometimes, but she does a lot of heavy lifting. When it comes to research, she's just great at this. So I would say she's probably been the greatest inspiration in my life overall. What was great about that though, Ian, is then she introduced me to all these amazing peacemakers when we created this book. And we have a database of hundreds of peacemakers that we went through to pick the 20 different ones that we added to this book. And it was her that helped me to meet some of these peacemakers who also inspired me at other levels. So I would say that's probably who's inspired me the most in life. Wow. So the book, you've got another 80 potentially chapters that are unpublished in a way is what you're saying there. Yeah, we have hundreds more. We could publish many more chapters if, if we wanted to. There's no question. There's so many wonderful people out there doing wonderful things. I mean, how can you give time to all of them? It's impossible. So what we try to do is cut through the chaff and give people a variety of different perspectives in the book. That was the one thing that was really important to us is how could we find these different perspectives so that people could find their inspiration? Yeah. So this is a good point just for me to put in my bit on the book. I mean, I've still got a few chapters to go, but I've been reading one chapter every so often on a Sunday and quite a lot of them have moved me even to tears. For me, it's it's a snapshot of such an inspiring life in four or five pages from start to finish and all, all what they've done. But a couple of the most empowering ones for me is Albert Schweitzer, who I'd not heard about, who at 29 just dropped being a professor 
because he decided he'd got his meaning in life and then spent the next eight years learning medicine so he could move to Gabon in Africa and spend the next 52 years establishing an expansive hospital there. And just the, the depth of effort and all the hurdles he had to overcome on that really moved me. And then in a different way, Astrid Lindgren, again, another person I'd never heard of, who just seems a children's book author who was quite quiet, but she somehow managed to change the whole nation's approach to animal husbandry uh, and more humane practices there. That's, I think, in Sweden. So, yeah, they're just two things that really move me in different ways. And in the four sections, you have kind of the, the pieces are split into choosing nonviolence is the first one. The second one is living peace. The third one is honouring diversity. The fourth one is valuing all life. And the fifth one is caring for the planet. So, like you said, you've, as well as your wife, you've got some inspiration from those 20 in the book and potentially some of the other ones you make. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Any that you'd like to focus on, either that are in the book or that are not in the book? Yeah. So when we chose the different peacemakers, we wanted to go in those five different categories that you spoke about. And while you can pick up any one of the chapters, as you noted, there are five pages each. They're all within about 100 words of each. They take about 10 to 12 minutes to read. You get kind of the overview life story of the peacemaker and some quotes by them. And I tell you, that was the hardest part for us is how do you take somebody like Gandhi and take his life down into, you know, 13 or 1400 words? It's not simple to do. But we thought that was what was most important. And then if people resonated, then they could go do more research on that person. And what we decided to do is make sure that we had a nice mix of different people, men and women, different races, religions, as much as we could, so that people could get different perspectives on that. And we also included people that were fairly recent. So we went back about 150 years at the most. You know, we didn't want to go back in and have, you know, a thousand, two thousand years ago. We wanted it to be a little more relevant to today's situation. And I think we accomplished that. The other thing that was really important to us is that we would put some peacemakers that were well-known, like a Mother Teresa or a Gandhi or a Martin Luther King Jr. But we also wanted to include other peacemakers like Anderson Saw or Wangari Maathai that people may not know about and might really want to know about. But what they're doing is just different. So we wanted 20 different inspirations out there. And what's interesting, Ian, is the book is taught middle school high school, university, graduate level university all over the world. We offer free study guides on the website, greatpeacemakers.com, so that they can actually download these webs- these for school students, their full booklets for them. We offer it for faith-based groups, et cetera, book clubs, journals. So it's all there if anyone would like to have that. But what's interesting is we often go to these schools. I'll give you an example. We went to a middle school recently. I think they have about 800 kids in the whole school and they adopted the book across the school and they taught it in every class. So every class had to use this, whether it was science or English or social studies, they had to use some part of this book as part of it because they wanted the concept of peacemaking to be proliferated through the school, which we thought was fantastic. And one of the interesting things we find, Ian, is when we go into the schools, we often have a question and answer with a lot of the students. And one of the questions I ask them is, which peacemaker resonates with you? Like for you, you said that Albert Schweitzer and Astrid Lindgren really resonated with you. Well, our concern at first was we would get the same peacemakers every time. Oh, Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa. What's been interesting is we almost never get the same ones. We get all of them at different levels. It's a real mix. There's no one that takes it much more than the rest. 
And for us, that's fabulous because that says that we're actually inspiring people. We're meeting them where they feel this welling up of inspiration coming from. And that's exactly what our intent was to be. So it's really come out you know, better than we had hoped for like that. So that's kind of a little bit about where I am with the book and the inspiration and, and that side of it. I hope that makes sense. Don't worry. I've made notes of today's top 10 hits of inspiration. Hang on to the end to hear the summary. What resonates with me in this conversation is it's such an heroic amount of effort that these people have done in life to, and it's definitely was never wasted, but this feels as though it's putting it to doubly good use, you know, really being efficient with all that value and wisdom that they've added to the world. So that really motivates me to keep reading it and, you know, for example, want to speak to you for the inspiration. So this putting it out into schools or into the into groups in the community. I knew you were doing that, but I wasn't aware of kind of whether it's a small scale thing or whether you've got a reasonable amount of traction in the US or how's that? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. Again, we're in middle schools, high schools, colleges and universities around the world. And again, we offer the free study guides that are full 21 lessons for middle schools and high schools and colleges. So it comes with rubrics so they can really, a teacher can pick this up and actually use it immediately in their class. And a lot of them do for social studies, a lot of them for English language. They use the book for that. We also have an audio that comes with it. So students, we have a group in, uh, a group of students in Japan actually right now that what they're doing is they have the audio book and they listen to it while they read along. So it helps them with their English. And at the same time, they're learning peace. So why not learn English and peace versus English and violence? So it's fabulous. So we have a lot of schools that do that. and. What we've come to realize is it was wonderful when we first held the book in our hand, but what's more wonderful is when we see it in other kids' hands and they're using it. And, you know, we had one school we went to and a couple of kids said to us, the teacher wrote to us and said, you know, the kids are using this. That's how I know they're getting it. She said one kid decided, had the inspiration that they use plastic silverware in their cafeteria for lunch every day. And actually it was two kids. They decided that they were going to collect all that silverware that was being thrown away every day and they were going to recycle it because they thought that was a good thing to do for the environment. So that inspired them to do it. And we had one a teacher tell us about a student who the girl stepped in, two boys were fighting. I think they were in seventh or eighth grade. They were fighting, literally fighting physically fighting. And she stepped between them and she said, what's wrong with you? Didn't you learn anything from the book, Great Peacemakers, that an eye for an eye only makes the whole world blind? Quit fighting with each other and start getting along. And, you know, it's those stories that inspire us so much. And what that brings to mind for me, Ian, is something that I think is important that people miss on inspiration sometimes. And if it's okay, I'd like to expand on that a little bit. Inspiration is super important and we're inspired because something moves us. And if you ever want to accomplish something, that's what I call doing what you can't not do. We can do a lot of things, but doing what you can't not do, that's a real inspiration. But inspiration on its own, without focus and without follow through, doesn't really do anything. It makes you feel better, but nothing comes out of it. And um, I learned that with a lot of, I do a lot of keynote speeches and workshops all over the country on inclusion and diversity, how we can be more inclusive in business environments. And what I, I saw was often people would come to my, my workshops for the whole day and they'd be very inspired and ready to go. And then you check back in two weeks later and nothing had happened. They didn't use it or a month later. So it was wonderful for the day, but it didn't have a lasting effect. And you made a comment a minute ago about how these great peacemakers in the book did so many things. And I think that's important. They were inspired, but they also acted. And that's important. And we have to be careful, especially I do. This is a big issue for me, is that 
inspiration, being inspired is really easy for me. I'm fortunate like that, that I get inspired by so many amazing things that I want to do out in the world. The problem is I can take on too many of them and then none of them get done. And so for me, I have to do focus and follow through and make sure that do you really want to do this? So sometimes I get inspired, write it down what I want, sit with it a little while and say, okay, you've got five things. You can't do them all. What's most important now? Does that make sense? Do you find that same thing yourself? 100%. 100%. I've not really fathomed, I've, I've not really implemented that one well at the minute. Yeah, yeah I need to be better at, at discernment and focus. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I have this little saying is that first we have inspiration, then we have to have perspiration. If you can't go from inspiration to perspiration, nothing gets done. So we've got to do that hard work a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Thank you. So for anyone who's listening who might be a little bit low on inspiration, any advice or comments you can make on that, at least to get the first bank of inspiration up a bit higher? Yeah, I think it falls into two categories. I think the first one is, is people get inspired. I don't think there's anyone, unless perhaps you're having a difficulty with some issues in your life that you're really down. We have difficulties like that. And sometimes we need to see a therapist to do that, to kind of get us out. But let's just assume that you're not in that space. You're not you're in your average daily space. I want to say, I think most people are inspired. But the question lies is, is they lose the inspiration or they're afraid to take it to that next step. And I think what keeps that inspiration going is that we're actually doing something and moving toward it. And we have to remember that Rome wasn't built in a day. It was built brick by brick. But every day, a few bricks were laid. Now, it's unfortunate mostly this was done by slaves, which is not a great thing. But we're not going to get into that today. But the point is, is doing a little bit every day is really important. And I think it's important to do it in your power time. So in my day, I'm a morning person. Even when I was a kid, my mom had to put, had a clock in my room. I'm, I'm a little older, so I've had a regular clock with hands on it. In case your younger readers don't even know what that looks like, they can Google it and see. But she had a clock and she took a Sharpie, a magic marker, and she marked a big hand on the five and the small hand, I mean, the small hand on the five and the big hand on the six. So 5.30 in the morning. And she said, don't get out of bed until the clock hits these because I'd be wandering around the house at four in the morning. So I've always been a morning person. So what I realized is it's easy to get up in the morning, start reading emails, checking the news, doing all that. And pretty soon my morning's gone and I don't get anything done in my power time. So what I realized to keep me inspired and motivated and doing work is when I get up first thing, whatever my inspiration, whatever I'm working on, go do that. Even if it's for a half an hour, every day, do it. And writers will tell you, everyone's thinking, well, I'm supposed to write, so I'll be inspired. My muse will come and I just won't be able to stop writing. Writing is hard work. You get up every day and you write, even when you don't want to write, you write. And it may not be the best every day, but when you get it on the page, the rewrite is always easier than the initial write. And I think that's the same with anything. So go out and do something every day toward that inspiration and it will keep it engaged for you. That's nice, I like that. That's like almost inspiration muscle you know, strengthening your inspiration muscle. That's exactly what you're doing. You, I mean, the more you write, the better you get at writing. It's a writing muscle and the same for any inspiration muscle. So I really do think that's a key factor there. Are there any times in your own life when you've maybe been at a low ebb and you've managed to either inspire yourself out or somebody else has inspired you through something? Yeah. You know, one thing that I learned from speaking to, uh, not speaking with, but, you know, reading a lot of these great peacemakers has to do with a little bit to do with gratitude and helping other people. So when you're feeling low and you just don't have inspiration, go help someone, go do something for someone. And I guarantee you, 
you'll come out of that lull. It will help you dig out of that trough. You know, the first thing they say to do is when you find yourself at the bottom of the hole, the first thing to do is put down the shovel. So quit digging the hole deeper. And okay, that's it. So put down the shovel. I always use that. Put the shovel down, Ken. And then what can I do to look around and who's in the hole with me? How can I help them get out of the hole? And by helping someone else get out of their hole or to better their life, it's amazing how quickly I come out of my funk and I start going toward that. The other part is, is we can feel down sometimes that we don't have enough of this. Or I didn't have this. My life sucks. Be grateful for what you have. Practice gratitude first thing every morning. Wake up for the first minute of every day and just say, what am I grateful for today? My dad always said, bad breath is better than no breath at all. So that's something to be grateful for right out of the hopper the day you step up. And you know, maybe you can walk. Well, a lot of people can't. So get out of the bed and walk, walk to the bathroom. That's a plus for you. No matter how bad a shape we're in, we all have the ability to be grateful. So I think be grateful, recognize that very clearly every day and help somebody else. And I think those will help you get out of a, a funk that you could be in if you're not feeling inspired for the day. Yeah, thank you. Now, you mentioned the power of, you know, helping other people there. And I'm guessing on your current role with helping people professionally and companies to either break down barriers or or get along better, that must be more rewarding then because that is very people, helping people oriented. Is there anything you can add in relation to how your current role or any of your current roles tie into what you've just said about, you know, helping other people? Yeah, you know, I think on that side, is I think it's important to help people. But some of us aren't always inspired by our most by helping people. And that's why we broke the book up. So the first thing was choosing nonviolence. We thought everybody should choose nonviolence. No matter what it is, that's an important factor. It's a mindset that we need to be focused on is nonviolence is the way of life. And then living peace. And that was about helping people find peace within themselves. So helping. Okay. And then we had honoring diversity, which is, you know, helping to honor other people in peace. We have valuing all life which is helping people uh, with the animal kingdom. How can I value all life, not just my life? And then finally, it's really about caring for the planet, which has to do with the environmental side for it. And what we find is, you know, some people are really care about the environment a whole lot. That's what they're inspired to do. You know, they care about other people, but they're really inspired for the environment. Or uh, like my wife, her biggest inspiration is animals. She just loves animals. She grew up as an only child. Animals were her her friends. They were her, her siblings. So for her, animals are super important. And that's what I think people need to realize is helping doesn't always mean you have to help another person. You can just help an animal, help the planet. And the interesting part is neither one is better or worse than the other. It's like every part of your body, your lungs, your liver, your legs, your arms, your eyes, your nose, they're all part of what makes you be a person. And so whatever you feel that you can do continually, what inspires you, you should go do. And if it doesn't mean it's with people, then don't do that go find something else. For example, the newest inspiration that my wife and I are working on right now is we've both been plant-based eaters for 20 years now. What's funny is I grew up in a cattle ranching family. So it was kind of odd that I became a plant-based eater. And, you know, my grandfather homesteaded northeastern New Mexico and a cattle ranch and all. So when I became what people would call a vegan or plant-based eater, my family was like, I could have joined ISIS and probably been better off than that. What is this? This is craziness, you know? And over the years, I've come to realize that, you know, I just don't want to harm animals. So our latest project is how can we help people? How can we help animals? And how can we help the environment? Because they all matter to us. And so what we've started is a new online training program that we're in the process of building right now uh, at our website, plantbasedeating.com. And it's an online training program to take the top 15 foods that Americans love from hamburgers to chicken nuggets to whatever 
and showing you where you can get those in restaurants and in grocery stores and how you can easily convert your life to a plant-based diet and a transition. It's not about kale and quinoa. It's all about how can we move a lot of people a little bit more. And I think that's important is we could spend our time trying to convert three to 5% of the population into 100% vegan, or we can try to help 20 or 30 or 40 or 50% of the population eat 10 or 20% more plant-based foods. The environment, the animals, and more people win in that transition. So we're really looking at how can we find a large group of folks and help them transition into it and help them take the first step instead of all the steps. We go from A to B, not A to Z. Yes, from my own perspective, because I'd not really a few years ago tried any vegetarianism or, or vegan and I was, went to a retreat center for a, a few days and that was you know, no meat. And it needed that for me to realize I could exist and enjoy food without that. So yeah, he's, he's putting it, he's putting it, making it easily, more easily in front of people. So you're probably on the right track there with what you're doing. Well, thank you. I, I think we are. Again, it's a transition. There's not, this is not a place to shame people. It's not a place to even tell them why they should do it. People are understanding that it's better for them and the animals and the planet. They just don't know how. And sometimes that's what a peacemaker's job is, is not to to inspire everybody else to do it. Sometimes somebody has to help with the heavy lifting. How do you do it? Not the why to do it. And there's plenty of people giving it the why. We want to give the how, because the bottom line is that's how we implement more of our inspiration. That's where the biggest impact can be for us. Thank you for that. So if people are struggling to stay grounded, if they've got so inspired, and besides the discernment that you mentioned. Is there anything else that you can suggest to, to keep that balance between being super inspired, but also, you know, keeping your feet on the ground? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. And I'll use an example of that is people that try to rescue animals, you know, like dogs or cats, or it could be farm animals or whatever, or it could be human trafficking. It's most any of the things we're trying to do, whether it's environment or all, there's always more you can do. You could work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and still not even come close to touching it sometimes. And I think we have to realize is that we need our down days. And, you know, Gandhi understood this very clearly. You need your time where you aren't working on that. Because if you burn yourself out, two things happen. You know, as you get more tired, if you're even working outside, shoveling rocks, you work too hard and get too tired. In the end, you don't shovel nearly as many rocks. Or if you use a chainsaw, I like to use this analogy, if you use a chainsaw over and over and over and you never stop to sharpen the blade, Pretty soon, you work your tail off to cut a tree with a chainsaw, but the chain is so dull that nothing happens. It'd be so much faster to tend the 10 minutes to sharpen the saw, and you could cut a lot more trees a lot more quickly in the end. And I think that's what people have to realize is that you need to be balanced with how much energy you put toward that, but you also need to replenish yourself and make sure that you're getting some time away from it. Otherwise, you'll become less effective as a whole, and you actually accomplish less than you would if you took some breaks. So it's really important for people not to get burned out and try to work 24 by seven. You need your time away from it. Yeah, I love that analogy, the chainsaw. And I noticed on your website, you like hiking with your dog, Buddy. Yeah. So I'm guessing that is part of the way that uh, maybe is some of your downtime. Anything you could tell us about that? Yeah, well, you know, Buddy, unfortunately, my pal Buddy passed away not too long ago. Um, and he was my best friend without question. Uh, and he really, he taught me a lot. One thing that Buddy taught me was that he's the best workout partner I could ever have because twice a day he got a walk and he let me know it was time and that was what we were going to do. So it was wonderful that I had this wonderful partner to do that. But what was also interesting is that 
he taught me about the present moment. And, you know, there's three places we can live in life. We can live in the past, we can live in the present, or we can live in the future. And when we live in the past, we tend to spend a lot of time on regret that, you know, we wish we could have, would have, should have, blah, blah, blah. The future, we tend to live in fear. What if I do? What if I don't? I can't do that. I'm too frightened. But neither of those, the past is gone and the future isn't here yet. All you really have is the present. And as they say, the present is the present. That's the present life. But animals live in the present all the time. Buddy always lives in the present. He That next smell, that's what he was on. It didn't matter. He didn't worry about the third or the fourth smell he was going to get on the walk. You know, we went out and I'd say every day we'd go out to check his pee mail. He'd go check and see who was around and sending him stuff, you know. And that's what animals really helped me to do. And Buddy specifically was be in the present moment and enjoy the fresh air. Take the deep breath. You know, there's so many miraculous things and that's all you really have. And the peacemakers understood that very clearly. And that doesn't mean you can't plan. That doesn't mean you're not planning, but you're planning for the future based on the present moment. So this moment, I am in the planning mode. So plan now, execute later. And so I'd say that was probably some of the the lessons that Buddy instilled in in me. No, that's beautiful. And now it's time for Quickfire Inspiration. Can you tell us about one of your most inspiring films that you've watched? My most inspiring films? Um, Wow, that's a good one. You know, there's so many different films out there. We could go to documentaries, you know, things like Forks Over Knives are terrific about understanding plant-based eating. I think there are other ones that just are inspirational, like The Life of Bagger Vance or something. Those can be kind of fun, interesting movies, you know. Wow, that's just hard. I know, that's two, that's two I've not heard of. So that's, uh, yeah, I'll have to. Yeah, so those are two interesting ones that you might enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Your most inspiring aspect of nature? My most inspiring aspect of nature, probably I just loved vast, large, mountainous views where you just see expansion that just comes across and the beauty that comes with it, you know? Yeah. So, and I'm fortunate I've lived in the, in the, in the West, the Southwest and the West, a lot of my life in America, which is where the Rocky Mountains come through. And also I've been fortunate to live in those places. And where I live in Sedona now is these monstrous mountains that are just gorgeous, bright red. They're just spectacular. So I would say that would probably be it for me. Yeah. Your most inspiring aspect of design or style? Simplicity. I love simple elegance. Yeah, that's a decluttering is good, I think. Your most inspiring song, what would you put on to really get your juices flowing? You know, music is very different for me. I tend to resonate with the music, the musicality of something more than the words of it. You know what I mean? I like jazz a lot. So anything that's upbeat jazz really inspires me. It kind of gets my juices running more than, than anything probably. So, yeah. I think if I was to listen to Kermit the Frog singing Rainbow Connection, that's a pretty amazing song. You know, I don't know if you know that one. Rainbow Connection. It's a wonderful song. Uh, it's a poem. And it's a song. Well, most songs are poems. And it's just about, uh, just check out Rainbow Connection. I think you'll like it. Kermit the Frog from the Muppets kind of really popularized it. It's really wonderful. And the last of the quickfire ones is your most inspiring aspect of travel, either a destination, a mode of travel, something about that. Meeting the people and understanding their culture. You know, you can go see the sites, which are wonderful. If you go to Greece or Rome, you can see the you know, Pantheon or whatever. And that's really amazing. But what makes it amazing is connecting it to the culture and the people that were there. And my most inspiring moments have been, you know, often... You meet people on the street that are from the local area. You break bread with them. You talk about their lifestyle and where they are and who they are and connect with them. And this concept by Desmond Tutu, it's a, it's a South it's an African concept called Ubuntu. And it basically says that I'm human because you're human. 
you teach me to be human and I teach you to be human. We can't be human by ourselves because we are a social herd species. And that's really an important concept that I think we miss in the world sometimes. Um, Again, Google Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U, I think it is just how it sounds. There's a computer operating system, a language that's Ubuntu, so don't go down that track. But just Desmond Tutu and Ubuntu, he'll have a couple of little short videos that'll just talk about it. It's an amazing concept. And it's basically the connection, the dialogue that we have with each other. And I think that's what the peacemakers taught me more than anything, is that we need to have a dialogue, not a debate with each other, but a dialogue. I need to understand how you see the world, what rose-colored glasses you see, what's your backstory, and then help you understand my backstory. And together, we can actually find the diamonds in the rough. Brilliant. It's beautiful. Yeah, I read the Desmond Total chapter as well. That was great. So we're getting close to the the last couple of questions, but one that we've not touched upon, and maybe we don't have time, but just obviously you've done quite a lot of work on the this you know, looking at a different a values-based way of viewing generations. And what inspired you to do that? Because I've never heard of anybody doing that, but you're obviously quite an expert on it. It's a whole new field for me. But you don't have to give us, you know, a gigantic answer, but I just, I didn't want to miss that point. I think it's, going back on my last point, I think what happened is we realized that using people's past behaviors to predict their future behaviors didn't really work, which is what most generational work like Baby Boom Gen X does. Because, you know, Let's take the quote hippie generation in America. You know, they were the largest anti establishment generation we ever knew in this country. They became the largest group of capitalists we've ever known. So you would never have been able to extrapolate that across it. What we said is so let's start diving deeper into this. And we realized it's not past behavior that drives future behavior, it's deep seated values that were developed around the social environment, the Ubuntu of who was teaching you at the time. And if we look at that generation, we realize, or we call them value populations, we realize that. They have a, a deep-seated need to perform. So whether the performance is, you know, anti-establishment or the performance is capitalism, they're going to perform it at their best. It's their different play, whatever play they're in, Shakespeare or whatever, that's what they're going to play. And so that's what happened. And it's really about these deep-seated values. That's our backstory that kind of drives us. And, you know, we see shared things. If we grew up in a somewhat similar environment, we see shared experiences and those help us connect with each other. That's what Ubuntu is about. The key there is, is different generations have grown up with different experiences and they see the world differently. And so our goal is to understand the rose-colored glasses they see the world from so that we can connect to them. And here's a real key. We know about the golden rule that says, well, first, he who has the gold makes the rules. We don't like that one. We like the golden rule of, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. But I'll leave you with something else here. Move it to the platinum rule. Don't treat people the way you want to be treated. Treat people the way they want to be treated. That's another level. And that's the key. How do you want to be treated? I want to know what you're about, not what I'm about and try to make you like me. I want to find out who you are. And wow, that's how I can learn from this. Well, yeah, I like that platinum rule. Platinum rule. Okay, so right, we're on to the, the closing two questions now. What is most right in the world? What is most right? That's a hard one. I think what's most right is that, wow. You know, there's a lot, we talk about violence in the world and how violent things can be. But if you look at, uh, 
humanity as a whole, I think we're, be, we, there's no question we're becoming more nonviolent, which is terrific. You know, it's a process. It's a practice. There's never a time when you're not nonviolent, but you know, if you read the book, uh, what is it that Angels of Our Better Nature by Steven Pinker. I think he goes through, it's a long book, but he goes through violence over the centuries and how we are getting much less violent. Many, you know, many fewer people are being harmed. And so I think that is what's right is it's the trajectory that we're moving toward, you know, that we want to be kinder to ourselves, to each other, to animals, to the planet. And I, again, it's a process. It's not something that everyone's going to be on, but as you get more and more, society moves that direction. And I think that's what's happening. We're getting to become a much more kind uh, place to live. It doesn't seem like it sometimes, but I really do think the statistics bear that out. Very I like that. It's kind of a, you know, a, a long-term beauty, a long-term warmth yeah. about, about that one. And the very last one, what is your next book you're hoping to read? What's on your reading list? That I'm hoping to write out, to write? To read, yeah. What was the next oh. book you're wanting to read? Wow, that's a big one. I'm a massive reader. I read nonfiction, a couple of books a week, actually. I, I do a lot of audible books and stuff. Uh, let me look at my list of what I've got queued up next, okay? Because I've got a whole list. Reading is never an issue for me. So I'm going to look this up for you right now and tell you which, oops, I'm offline. Sorry. There's a book called Influence that I'm looking to read next, I believe. Let me turn this on. I'm sorry for waiting for a minute. While you're looking at that, if you can multitask, if people want to get in touch with you, how should they do that? I mean, I know you've mentioned the website for the vegan and vegetarian project, right? And I, I don't know if we've actually mentioned the website for the great peacemakers or even any other, but whichever contact method you'd like to put out there, feel free to let us know that. Uh, yeah, so any of the websites, so greatpeacemakers.com, there's a contact form on, you can get, get me through there. Um, I read all of it that comes through. Uh, my other website where my generational stuff is, I have an online training course there if you'd like to see that and learn more about this. It's nearbridge.com, N-E-A-R-B-R-I-D-G-E.com, like a close bridge. Plantbasedeating.com, right now the online program isn't launched, but you can read about it and you can sign up so that we'll notify you when it does. That will come to me also. So any of those methods would be a great way to get a hold of me. Just go to one of those websites and you'll usually have a contact form to be able to do that with. Thank you. Okay. So the next book that I've got targeted up is a book called Transcend. And it's an interesting book on the new science of self-actualization. Self. Okay. Do you know the author of that one? Yes. The author of that is Scott Barry Kaufman. It's about self-actualization. It's kind of the work of Carl Jung a little bit. Okay. Right. I mean, excuse me, Maslow. Excuse me, Maslow. I just read one on Carl Jung's lifestyle, which was one wonderful book too. Yeah. So that's my next book right now. Well, thank you ever so much for all that time and wisdom and for coming on the call from the USA. So um, yeah, I uh, yeah, look forward to seeing, well, hopefully one day the next edition of Great Peacemakers, if uh, you know, and, and, and to keep building on that. That's beautiful. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. I really have to apologize. I've got so much from Ken that this is a really big list of the top 10 hits of inspiration. Number one, do or focus on what you can't not do to get inspired, not just what you can do. Two, what inspires you today may not inspire you tomorrow. Things come and go at different chapters of your life. Inspiration is where it's at at the moment. What are you fired up for now? Three, motivation is an extrinsic reward like a carrot or a stick. It's better to focus on inspiration which comes from inside. However, you still sometimes need to use motivation, for example, to go to work, to pay the bills, so that you can go and do your inspiration afterwards. Four, 
Learn how to distinguish between important and urgent and do the important. Five, there are so many inspiring people out there doing great things to inspire you if you need it. Ken has another 80 chapters waiting for his book of people they couldn't fit in. Wow. Six, there are so many different perspectives on inspiration and peace as indicated by how children react to Ken's book and the fact that they like all the different chapters, both the known people and the less known people. Seven, I personally find it so inspiring that there are schools proliferating the concept of peace through all the subjects. Wow. Eight, meet people where they are, they are at, where their inspiration is welling up from. Nine, why not teach peace alongside the English language? What a great idea is a language topic. 10. Inspiration on its own without focus and follow-through doesn't really do much. You need to discern and focus on one area. As Ken says, you need both inspiration and perspiration. 11. Do something to move towards your inspiration a little bit every day. Don't lose your inspiration or be afraid to take the next step. 12. Do this little step each day in your power time. Whatever's firing you currently, do it for half an hour every day. 13. Just get it on the page you're writing. It may not be good some days, but the rewrite is always easier than the initial write. 14. When you're in a hole, stop digging. Put down the shovel. Look around who else is in the same hole as you and think, how can I help these others get out of this hole or better their life? That can really pick you up. 15. Practice gratitude. As Ken's dad says, bad breath is better than no breath at all. 16. Helping isn't just restricted to other people. Maybe helping animals or the planet and environment may be more your inspiration. 17. Maybe in your endeavours, moving a lot of people just a little bit is a great contribution. Just help people take the first step. 18. You can present a new way with the how to do something. Do the heavy lifting to make it easy for people without having to complicate it with the why. That's a practical way of how to implement more of your inspiration. 19. Make sure to have your own down or off days. Otherwise, using the chainsaw analogy, if you never sharpen your blade, your chain is so dull that no matter how hard you saw, nothing happens. 20. Pet dogs can teach you a lot about living the present moment. The past has lots of regrets. The future is maybe a lot of fear. Dogs aren't onto the third or fourth smell on their wall. They're in the present, and a lot of the great peacemakers understood this. Planning is fine, but plan for the future while in the present. 22. Ubuntu. We can't be human by ourselves. I'm human. You're human. I teach you to be human, and you teach me to be human. That's an amazing thing. 23. Breaking bread and connecting and understanding with local people while abroad can be a real amazing highlight. And finally, 24. The Platinum Rule. Don't treat people the way you want to be treated. Treat them the way they want to be treated. Have dialogue. Understand each other's backstory. Find the diamonds in the rough. Understand what their rose-tinted view is. What plays they have from their own backgrounds. Different groups have different backgrounds. Learn this for a deeper connection. Thank you for joining me today. And I hope to keep in touch with Ken in the future. Watch out for news on our new group. Thank you everyone for listening today. Your kind attention is really appreciated and valued. If you feel some inspiration from today's episode, please share it. 
and please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you wish, leave us some comments. In your comments, please let us know any inspirational subjects you'd like us to cover. As I aim to build a bank of both inspiration and stories of events that inspired close connection between groups of people, if you have something to share in this space, send me an email at inspiringteamhuman at gmail.com. Watch out for the next two episodes where we'll be speaking to Jay Allen, motivational speaker and business coach who's aiming to help 1 million business owners to add a zero to their businesses, growing sustainably and ethically. He used to be an advanced trauma medic in the British Army and he's also an author of several books and a podcaster. And Kelly Krizik, the founder of New Earth Now, a regenerative development consulting company. Kelly's true purpose in life is to bring about revolutionary societal change by facilitating greater connection among people and the planet. Previously, she had a background in finance, insurance, investments and real estate. I've really seen her at work and this is going to be an amazing interview. Thanks again. Look forward to seeing you next week for another boost of inspiration. Thanks to Ben Sound for the music.